Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat teaching by Rabbi Adam Klickfeld and Yonatan Rosner. And it's so really heartwarming to uh, to see people who came to honor my father and uh, on Zoom and here in, in person. Thank you for, for being here. I'm going to stick to my uh, to my lines because I, I may get emotional, and so I have it here. And, and I want to start just with just a little bit of information about my dad, um, and then we'll jump into the learning. So um, my father, Gideon Rosner, lived a full life and managed to live it fully. He was born in uh, 1928 in Tel Aviv uh, to his parents, Arya and Yona, and was raised in Haifa. Similarly to the Great Depression of the 1930s in the U.S., living in Israel during those times was very difficult financially, and uh, his family was very poor. As a result, uh, he spent most of his time in boarding schools as a child. And uh, he, uh, um, I think this impacted him quite a lot. Uh, he was always like a, a lone wolf. And, and even his rapport with his parents was a little bit shaken because of it. In, in high school, he was accepted, though, to the Kadui Agricultural School in, of, um, in northern Israel, where many of Israel's famous leaders at the time attended. So, for example, it's Igal Alon, a graduate Kadui 10 years before, and Yitzhak Rabin six years before my father did. And during those times, with the, it was the British mandate, and so um, the students didn't want to take their finals, so they won't get a, a British uh, to that bakut. And that will play a role later on in the story. Once he graduated high school, my father served in the Palmach, the elite fighting force of the Haggadah, during the, during the British mandate. And after the War of Independence, which began actually on May 6th today, 74 years ago, Gideon joined the Israeli merchant fleet as a radio officer. And he sailed to Africa, South and North America, and brought a lot of goods, as, you know, there was no food, and so we needed goods to come to Israel, and, and, and he was fortunate to be uh, on those uh, uh, um, fleets. Um, but also, he brought Jewish immigrants, mostly from uh, uh, North African Air, uh, countries, to the newly established Israel. He was telling me a story about um, bringing the Jews of Morocco, like <laughs> being on that ship, one of those uh, two big ones, at least, that, that brought, brought them years ago. Later on, he taught himself air navigation and joined El Al and helped navigate planes using the stars alone. And when he was and when he was 50 years old, a year after I was born, I was a late born, and my dad was married twice, and I'm the youngest out of four. And so, when I was a year old and he was 50, the gyro-based auto navigation system made his job obsolete and he needed to uh, get a job, and he decided to go back to university with no Tudot Bagut and study law. And so he was accepted on condition. He's going to be a stellar student, and he did. He was able to do that. And in the 34, final 34 years of his life, my father dedicated himself to defend mostly the elderly and those on the fringes of society by fighting on their behalf in court. My father modeled hardworking ethics, and an endless determination and grit. And uh, he instilled in us a strong sense of justice and moral 
compass and they taught me the love of life. He, uh, he loved us immensely, even though he often had a really hard time to express it. And then uh, I miss him very much. So, um, for today's learning, I can't read if I can see. So I chose to focus on um, I chose to focus on inheritance law, and um, because of his work as a lawyer, um, he did a lot of different law, everything but uh, criminal law, and uh, he shoot divorce because he himself ex uh, experienced divorce. Um, but one of his main things was was the inheritance law, Yerusha. And unfortunately, many many families find themselves fighting about matters of inheritance. Not only that we are genetically predispositioned to, to competition and conflict, but also our psychological sense of self is often intertwined with the uh, approval that an inheritance represents, especially when the person who dies is a parent. In addition, we're gen genetically hardwired to be on the outlook for exclusion, sometimes finding it even when it doesn't really exist. And lastly, some of the families fight because of the death of a loved one and the anxieties that this death evokes for those who are left behind. But worse than, 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 worse than that are the cases of family disputes about inheritance which take, which take place while the parents are still alive. And my father often found himself defending the elderly against their own children who are trying to take control and disinherit them from their possessions. So in honor of these honorable efforts, um, Rabbi and I chose to uh, learn with you today uh, text, texts from the 8th chapter of uh, Baba Vatra. And uh, just as background, in, in general, uh, the inheritance laws found in this chapter are, are based on the verses um, from Bamidbar 27 um, in response to the claim made by Slofchad's daughter. Uh, daughters, sorry. So the, the law that we see in Bamidbar reads as follows. Um, further speak to the Israelites people as follows. A man, if a man dies without leaving a son, he shall transfer his property to his daughter. If he has no daughter, he shall assign his property to his brothers. If he has no brothers, he shall assign his property to his father's brothers. If, he, if his father had no brothers, he shall assign his property to his nearest relative in his own clan. And he shall make, and he shall inherit it. And then it says, this shall be a law of uh, uh, perpetuity, if you wish, for the, for the Israelites in accordance with the Lord's commandment, commandment to Moses. And so the, the first Mishnah in the eighth chapter, which we'll be learning, deals with the order of inheritance, and it's divided into four categories. Uh, all of those who inherit from others, nochlin, nochlin, and those who, when they die, bequeath, property to others, and these are the manchilin. And if you're a little bit confused, 
uh, and if you find it a little bit hard to follow so far, so you are among good company. The laws are we're about to learn are not, not only require a lot of uh, a strong sense of logic, but also the ability to hold information and follow up the family tree as you go along. And so I hope you find it enjoyable. And just before Rabbi Clickfield takes over and uh, runs through the Mishnah, I will then come and uh, bring my own uh, perspective. Uh, I want to say just a prayer for the lifting of the soul of my father. ורוחות תרגיע בחלק היושבים בגן עדן, נשמתו תתעדן בטוב הצפון לצדיקים ותשיב בכבוד מנוחתו, ולקץ הימין יעמוד גורלו. וילווה אליו השלום, ועל משכבו יבוא שלום, יכתיב יבוא שלום ינוחו על משכבותם. הוא וכל בני ישראל השוכבים עמו בכלל הרחמים והסליחות, אמן כן יהי רצון, יהי לי רצון עם רפי והיגיון ליבי לפניך, אדוני צורי וגורלי. Thank you, Yonatan. Already you've done a great zakhut for your father's memory. As Yonatan described, this is a really complicated Mishnah. It's short, but each line you could spend 20 minutes unpacking, and we're not going to do the full unpacking, but I want you to get the basic rhythm of it and the basic uh, information so that when Yonatan gives his commentary, it'll make sense a little bit. I was telling Yonatan before, you know, I have books on my shelf that I have owned for decades, and I... I guess I hadn't learned this Mishnah in this particular volume in a long time, and I see my notes in here from, I don't know when, it could be from you know, 1991 or 1997, and what is clear to me is that I didn't understand it then either. Um, so um, it's, it, as, it's to, to keep, it, keep this all in your head without a chart is really complicated. In some ways, it's a classically constructed Mishnah because the Mishnah loved two-by-two two grids, Right, so thinking of a category, there are those who do both X and Y. There are those who do X but not Y. There are those who do Y but not X, and there are those who do neither X nor Y. That's what how this Mishnah is constructed, but you'll see, hopefully, that one of those sections is utterly redundant, and there are many layers of commentary in the Mishnah that wonder why even it was recited, and it may have been because it was easier to memorize that way, because if something is in a, in a memorizable um, a memorable pattern, you know, without safaria and without written text, it was easier to transfer to the next generation. But let's see if we can get basic, basic pshat. Yesh nochalin umanchilin. There are many words in Hebrew for inheritance. There's the root that uh, Yonatan used, yarash, to bequeath, and there's also nochel, nunchet lamed. And uh, as if you know a little bit about Hebrew, if a word is in the pa'al, uh, binyan, then it's a straight verb, and if it's in the he field, then it's causing someone else to do the same action. So, yesh nochalim, there are those who inherit, umanchilim, and also cause others to inherit. The, the word that we would use in English would be bequeath, right? So those relationships where both, where I can inherit from you, and you can inherit from me. There are relationships in a family tree where I might Inherit from you, but you but you would never inherit from me. I would never bequeath to you. Flip it. 
and you can already anticipate the redundancy because the sections two and three of this have to be mirrors of one another, yet they're both recited. There are those who bequeath but don't inherit. That's just the inverse of what we said before, but it's still said explicitly. And then the last one, there are people on our family tree who might be uh, geometrically as close to others early in the list, but because of the specific way the Jewish inheritance law goes, you neither inherit from them nor do you bequeath to them. And now we have the specifics. So this is also a common Mishnaic tool. You have a klal, a general principle, and now you have the specifics. Elu no chalinu Here are those people who, in their relationships, are in both a inheriting and bequeathing relationship. Ha'av et ha'banim. Ha'banim et ha'av. Which was also redundant, because if we're saying that that these relationships are in both a bequeathing and inheriting relationship, all you have to say is father and son, and the inverse is already implied, but still the Mishnah says it, right? So, so if, just think of it: a father and a son in biblical law. If the father dies, certainly the son inherits. If the son dies and left no male in, uh, in descendants, then the father would inherit from him. So they are in a inheriting and bequeathing relationship. So those might be a little obvious. And then the third one that are also in this category, the ha'achim min ha'av. So um, to explain this situation, I'll just read you Kahati, who is one of the 20th century explicators of the Mishnah. Mate adam belohi niyazera. A person dies... And didn't leave a child. Nor is that person's father alive. Right? So it's a terrible situation. A man dies, no children, no father. His brothers from his father, that's an important distinction in biblical law. His brothers from his father inherit him. So this is also a, a common thing in understanding the Mishnah. When you, we assign, we're trying to figure out to go from a, a um, sort of a, a theoretical principle to a specific case, we imagine they're all the children of, J- of Jacob. So what's the situation? Ruvain and Yosef, who are brothers who share a father but not a mother, right? Yoshim Zezeh, they can inherit from one another. Afopish me'im echat, even though they're not from the mother. So in that situation, they are both nochel umanchil. And the Mishnah then also concludes somewhat redundantly, because we already said, these are the ones who inherit and bequeath, and then at the end of the trio, we have again, just in case you were confused, they indeed inherit and bequeath. Now we're on to the next category. So a father, sorry, a man and his mother, or towards his mother, and a man towards his wife, and uh, children of sisters, they will inherit, but they will not bequeath, right? So a man can inherit a property from the mother in biblical law and rabbinic law. The mother would never get the property if the son died, even if there were no other inheritors. Same thing with a man can inherit the property of his wife in biblical law and rabbinical law, but a wife would not inherit the property of the husband that would go to the other offspring listed here. That one's a little more complicated, so I'll read you what it says in Gahati. Kolomar. The children of the sister of the deceased 
can inherit the deceased, right? So your nephews by your sister or your nephews and nieces. If there's no one else closer on the family tree, your nephews, even through um, um, your sister, if they're if, if if you kind of struck out in the other place of the family tree, they would inherit. Kigon. This is another example where names of Jacob's family get thrown into a specific. B'nai Dina, imagine Dina, right, the daughter of Jacob. Her children, Yorshim et Ruvain, can inherit from Ruvain, their uncle. Achia Sheldina, the uh, uh, brother of Dina. Kshe'en le Ruvain banim, if Ruvain die without children. Belohiniach av, and didn't leave a father, if Jacob's already dead. Oach, if all of Ruvain's brothers are dead. Oachot, or D- and Dina's already dead. So again, the situation is, Ruvain dies, Jacob dies, all the other, all the other uh, brothers are dead, and Ruvain's children are also gone. His sister would not um, inherit, but his sister's children would inherit. If Dina had been alive, she would have inherited, but she died, and therefore her children, by dint of her relationship with him, inherit. Her children inherit in her from her strength, from the power of her strength in the relationship. Um, and then the, uh, so, those are nochalin velomanchalin. Haisha et baneha, a woman and her children, vahaisha et baala, and a woman and her husband, vaacheha aim, and the brothers of the mother, manchilim velonachalin. This is the mirror image of the previous rule. It's the flip. So, in terms of conveying data, it's not needed in the Mishnah. In terms of creating a nice two-by-two two grid, it's helpful. If we had more time, we would linger on that. And in the last case, If you remember the first situation, we had brothers from the father. They are in the category of uh, both nochalin or manchilim, but brothers from the mother are neither in the category of nochalin or manchilim because since everything would be going through the mother and the mother never inherits from her child, so too her brother, her, the, the other offspring that come from the mother never inherit. Kahati says on that, um, the brothers from the mother, not from the same father. Lo no chalim velo manchalim. They neither inherit nor they bequeath. Zezeh shekol echad nachlato chozeret el sel krovei haav. Because in that situation, all of the inheritance goes through the relatives of the father, and she is married to the father, but she's not in a biblical sense, in terms of inheritance law, related to the father. So that that's a taste. And it gives you a sense of the rabbis living in a real society trying to take three or four verses from the book of Bimidbar and try to um, come up with practical law that would actually impact what would happen in Judea in the year 50 or Judea in the year 100. Um, and, of course, it might be ringing in your mind the story of the daughters, daughters of Tzlovchad who are mentioned elsewhere in this chapter uh, who petitioned um, Moses in the desert so that some of the inheritance laws would favor even a little bit the notion of daughters who died, daughters whose father died without leaving male heirs, so that some of the money and some of the land could stay in that tribe. Now that you have some basic shot, Yonatan will come and give you his interpretation of it. You ready for the test? Rabbi and I did it for an hour and a half, and we had we ended up with more questions than answers. But it's uh, it's a lot. It's a lot. 
And it's uh, and civil law nowadays civil law is no different. It's as complex. So here is to summarize the cheat sheet. Are you ready? So here is the order, the rabbis listed the following order of inheritance. Sons and first, sons and sons and their descendants, second, daughters and their descendants, the father, brothers and their descendants, sisters and their descendants, the father's father, the father's brother and their descendants, the father's sisters and their descendants, the father's father's father, and the husband who also inherits from his wife, but not if she died childless soon after the marriage. This is just a cheat sheet. Of, of that. And so there are many, many complex situations that are not addressed by the above chichit, and some of which are raised and resolved by the Gemara in Barabatra, and some are not. Uh, for example, what happens if uh, the, dead, the, the dead husband's heirs and wife and creditors all have claims? How do you resolve this one? Or what happens if the husband and wife are found both dead together, but it's not clear who died first? Right, the wife cannot inherit the husband, but the husband can inherit the wife. That changes a lot of things. However, there, are, there is another whole category which is not addressed yet, and, and these have to do with a case in which a person who is still alive and wants his possessions to go to a certain descendant, but not according to the Torah laws. So what about the case of a will which can, in fact, lead to disinheritance of the Torah laws? And so Rambam writes in uh, Mishneh Torah, and you have it also uh, there, he writes uh, the following. If a person states, so-and-so is my firstborn son, he should not receive a double portion. Or my son and so-and-so should not inherit my estate together with his brothers. His statements are of no consequence. It doesn't work. Similarly, if he says, let so-and-so inherit my estate, when the dying man has a daughter, or let my daughter inherit my estate when he has a son. His statements are of no consequence. You cannot do that. And similar laws apply in all analogous situations. And so you can see that you can't override the law um, once you're dead. However, while alive, a person can decide what to do with their possessions, and they can give the property and money to others as they find fit, right? If, if I were today decide to give all my money to somebody, that will be before my death. And so the Torah laws do not apply. And if by then, right, soon after I die, then it's no longer mine to give. And so depending on a person's desiring, uh, desiring to bequeath their possessions uh, uh, was on their deathbed, shchiv mira, or healthy, bari, whether I'm about to die or actually I'm all healthy, there are a few ways of creating a will which is not in accordance with the biblical law. And these are mostly uh, via revocable trusts uh, or a deathbed gifts, but not chaim. So I'm about to die, I'm going to give all my gift to somebody and that way I can overcome, overcome it and give it to a favorite heir. In other words, a, man, a person may have a, a will which indicates the transferring of possessions to whomever he desires and an hour before the passing of that person's bequeathing. And so the possessions stay with the owner until his last hour, and the person still has the power to change their mind any time beforehand. The only trick here is that you don't know when you're going to die, and so how can you say an hour before I'm going to die, and that's a whole halachic issue all there. But 
in this way, this inheritance and favoritism were made possible, which is not all bad. It also allowed daughters and, and mothers to benefit as well from their father's and husband's inheritance. Right? So that's another way to overcome it. And still, even when this loophole exists, the Mishnah states that if one gives his assets to others and leaves nothing to his sons to inherit, it is valid under Jewish law, but the spirit of the sages is not pleased with him. The rabbis who were aware of these loopholes created a system of oral laws that and, and rules that, and, and that, that allow this, but also said, do not be among those who shift in, in inheritance, even from a ba- bad son to a good son. And why not? Because the sort of a child who will emerge there, there from is not known. We never know, you know, whether a good son or a bad son is indeed a good son or a bad son. This is a subjective perspective, right? And it's, it's beyond us to know what they are, what their choices will be in the future. Through generations, Rabbi allowed, allowed wills to shift inheritances from one heir to another as long as a significant amount remained for the, for the heirs. And in the 20th century, two leading rabbinical authorities, Ashkenazi and Sfaradi, Rav Moshe Feinstein and Rav Yovadi Yosef, even approved total and partial disinheritances in case of extreme misconduct by the heirs. The, uh, the heirs do something awful, they lose it, and the rabbis say, that's okay. And as reference under modern Israeli law, which is based on biblical but also Ottoman British and international laws, sons and daughters share equally in inheritances. So we don't follow uh, in biblical law uh, by, uh, in Israel. Um, but there are situations where you can take um, your inheritance to be din, and, and in that case, um, they do take lead on, on the inheritance process. But... Putting our will aside, literally and figuratively, the one constant and certain for, the one constant and certain for us all is our inevitable, inevitable death. Essentially, this biblical algorithm, which dictates the division of possessions after our death, regardless of whether you agree with it, you find it fair or just, it's constant. No matter whether one one person was rich or poor, famous or unknown, once dead, these laws apply on all of us in the same way, without exceptions. This is back to V'hayta, Levnei Yisrael, Chukat Mishpat, as uh, the Bamidbar read after those verses I read before. What we can learn from this is yet another reminder that our lives are remembered not by the size of, our, of the inheritance that we bequeath to our loved ones, but by the way that we live it until we die. And the Talmud in Masechet Shabbat 31a provides guidance to the kind of life that we should be living by raising questions one is asked before God after departing from this world. And this is something that I um, that came to my attention, was taught to me by um, another rabbi of mine, um, uh, Dr. Powell, Bruce Powell, uh, who made this one actually the, 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 the foundation and basis of, uh, of the Toledo High School. Rava says, this is the uh, Gemara, when a person is brought to judgment for the, for the life um, he lived in the, in the world, they say to him, ask him these questions. Did you conduct business honestly and avoided taking unfair advantage? You can ask yourself the same questions right now. Did you designate time for Torah study and made lifelong learning a value and a priority? Did you engage in procreation, raise children, and became part of a community? Did you await salvation, had hope, and engage in tikkun olam? Did you use 
wise judgment to understand one matter from another, separate the argument from the individual in front of you, and let go of the unimportant. That's hard for me. And beyond all of this, is the fear of God is one's treasure? If yes, he's worthy. And if not, no. None of these accomplishments have any value. And so money aside and those questions aside, while an individual's personal will, as long as they are, li- they are alive, may lead a person to increase the portion of or deprive altogether the relative's inheritance, and by doing so is giving that person a sense of power and control, once dead, the Torah inheritance law systems take over and treats all circumstances in the same manner. Perhaps by doing so, the biblical system may even help families avoid disputes about matters of inheritance. And to conclude, my, father's, my father dedicated a big portion of his life helping people make moral decisions regarding their possessions. Now that he is no longer alive, he no longer has to fight as the laws of nature take over while his neshama can join the internal truth he fought so hard for. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.